Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast and the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. Riding solo today, it's just going to be a short pod. We are recapping ECU Baseball Media Day. We're going to dive into some of the topics we discuss with head coach Cliff Goblin, associate head coach Jeff Palumbo, and pitching coach Jason Dietrich over the next 30 minutes or so if we can go that long but uh, just wanted to kind of hit on some of the topics we'll also maybe dive into what happened on Sunday with the ECU men's basketball game an 80 to 53 loss against the Memphis Tigers but really wanted to focus on baseball and just kind of recap what we talked about you know usually do these articles in written form about you know quick takeaways uh, big notes but I I thought you know with the podcast the Hoist Colors podcast we're going to be start Doing a lot of this stuff in audio form, you know, I know as a sports fan myself with my teams, I enjoy listening to the audio form as well as reading a lot of stuff, but I know a lot of people these days are transitioning to audio form. So I wanted to give this uh, opportunity uh, to you guys that are listening uh, for a quick recap. Of course, if you want to, you can go watch the full press conference. I think the entire thing was around 50 minutes long. Uh, a lot of questions, a lot of good answers from uh, Coach Godwin, uh, Palumbo, and Dietrich. But we'll dive into some of the big topics right away. Uh, I thought the first thing that stood out to me from ECU's perspective is just, you know, the overall air of confidence with this team. Uh, you've got so many guys coming back in set roles or really established roles that we, you know, we didn't get to see a full season out of a lot of these guys last year, but we got to see enough of a season, uh, 17 games to be exact, plus those that have played the year prior. But so many guys coming back in roles that they kind of prove they can handle, whether it be on the mound, whether it be positionally, infield, outfield, catcher, uh, just a lot of guys that are coming back with defined roles. And then you add another layer of depth on top of that with so many young guys in the program and even a number of second or third year guys in the program that will be serving in depth roles uh, this season, really to start off with, I thought Cliff Godwin made a a great point, and he you know kind of quoted Nick Saban on it. Said, you know, we don't look at our our bench players right now as backups. We look at them as starters that just haven't gotten the opportunity to start yet. And when you're in year seven, like Cliff Godwin is, he's had the chance to really just dial in and bring in stellar recruiting class after stellar recruiting class. You're now starting to see that depth really stack up in the program. Then you throw in the COVID-19 situation where guys get an extra year of eligibility. As a result of that, you get a possible second or third round draft pick like a Gavin Williams to come back. You get a 
a top 10 round draft pick like a Bryson Worrell to come back. Uh, it's just such a unique season, and, and it's also going to be that way for a lot of teams. A lot of these teams are going to be as deep as they've ever been, but I think for ECU in particular, this has a chance to be the deepest and, and most talented team that we've seen in years. And, of course, this is all on paper. They've got to go out and prove it, like Cliff Goblin said. Uh, championships and rankings and all that stuff aren't handed out in the preseason, but just the established roles, you could tell the coaching staff is pretty confident in what they have coming back. I mean, we could fill out a, a starting lineup right now that would be very reminiscent of last year's opening day lineup or last year's lineup when the Pirates took on UNC Wilmington in the shortened season in their final game. Really, the only person that's missing is Alec Burleson. And so you're going to plug in maybe a talented freshman like a Josh Moylan or a Skylar Brooks at first base, and then the rest of the lineup might be just about the complete same. So we'll dive into that a little bit as we go along. You know, we're going to have a lot of preseason baseball content in the weeks to come. Uh, Jonathan Wagner and I, he's a frequent guest on this podcast, also a contributor to Hoist the Colors as an intern. Uh, we're going to tag team the uh, positional previews going into the February 19th season opener against Rhode Island. But hitting on that depth, I thought, you know, it's, it's clear, you know, from a positional standpoint, while they like what they have, I think on the mound is where this team really has a chance to thrive. I mean, I think just the overall depth on the mound is you know the best thing about it is you've got experienced guys who are more control refined pitchers that they've proven they can go out and throw strikes pound the zone etc and then you've got this mix of young guys that really have a chance to overwhelm opposing batters with their stuff and I think that's a good mix of experience maybe those experienced guys don't have as high of a ceiling as some of the younger guys but I think you throw in the younger guys who have more pure stuff and you get a perfect mix there uh, on the mound. You know, we'll talk about uh, some of the different options they have in the bullpen. We want to start first with the uh, potential starting rotation. We know, of course, that the non-conference games will be your traditional three-game series on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There will also be one midweek game per week until conference play uh, begins in early April. But... Cliff Godwin said today there are really five main candidates kind of in line to be starting pitchers. And the three obvious ones are the returning starters from last year's projected weekend rotation. Gavin Williams, of course, who was supposed to be the Friday night guy last year before he got injured. Uh, Jake Kuchmaner, the preseason all-conference pitcher of the year heading into the 2019 season. And then, of course, Tyler Smith the fifth-year senior who's been in the program a long time has just been steady and solid. So those three guys, for, you know, unless there's some sort of COVID issue or injury, it's hard to imagine that won't be your starting rotation come opening weekend. But the two guys after that are two of the more interesting guys to monitor in my mind. You know, a little bit of a surprise in that third-year pitcher, Carter Spivey, was mentioned by Cliff Goblin as a guy who made a tremendous jump. And then also uh, second-year freshman Carson Wisenhunt, who – by all intents and purposes, might have the best pure upside in the program. Wizen Hunt is a 6'4 lefty. Cliff Goblin said he works 90 to 95 miles per hour with an 83-mile-per-hour slider. That's a really a strikeout breaking pitch. Also has a changeup, so a, a three-pitch mix, a guy that's going to get on you. Uh, we saw him very little last year as a true freshman. 
Uh, Wisenhunt only made one appearance, gave up three runs, and and it didn't record an out in his only appearance of the year. And if you remember, they tried to make him a two-way guy last year. And, um, you know, really good hitter, has has potential to do both, maybe at one point down the line. But really his upside is on the mound with that frame, his extension. And uh, they let him just focus on pitching over the summer and into the fall. He played summer ball and really just saw an uptick in, in pure stuff, velocity, feel, command, presence, everything that goes into being a, a pitcher and really having a second year or a first year under his belt going into that second year, I think has given him a lot of confidence and, you know, talking with sources in the program really probably had the best strikeout stuff on the staff during the fall. So we'll see if he can carry that over into the spring and they start their first intra squad scrimmage uh, this coming weekend. You know, if he continues to throw at that level, you have to think he would at least be a you know candidate to start in the midweek or maybe even push one of those older guys in the starting weekend rotation. But I don't think they'll throw too much on him too early unless he just absolutely dominates over the next number of weeks. Uh, Spivey's a really interesting one. You're talking about a guy who came in as a freshman, and I remember Dan Roselle, the pitching coach then, and Cliff Godwin really talking up Carter Spivey heading into his true freshman season. That would have been in... 2019 really struggled I mean you could tell he had good stuff I uh, you know guys on the team would say he's one of the toughest guys to face in practice but then he would go out in a game and just really struggle he would throw strikes but get hit hard even last year he made five appearances with the 736 ERA uh, had four strikeouts to one walk in three and two-thirds innings so we, we haven't seen Carter Spivey really put it all together but it sounds like he made a lot of strides in regards to his command this preseason or this fall. Um, Cliff Godwin specifically said his glove side command and just some of the things he's doing with his pitches now, his, his breaking ball has really sharpened up. And he's always had kind of an awkward angle, but solid, you know, solid stuff that moves a lot. And I think maybe he finally found something this fall. So those are your five guys really that it seems like are trending towards being starters. Now, of course, Cliff Goblin did also add that you've got a number of guys who, too, can potentially be that swing starter, bullpen type of guy. Um, you, you know, talk about a C.J. Mayhew, a left-hander from last year who really was dominant out of the bullpen uh, over his eight appearances. Went 1-0 and with a .56 ERA, struck out 19 to 6 walks in 16 innings. Uh, you know, there was some talk about C.J. going to the starting rotation. Looks like he will start in the bullpen. Uh, Garrett Saylor is another guy, right-hander, tall right-hander, who had a lot of success last year as a uh, bullpen arm. And then, you know, Cam Colmore, Tristan Kimmel, two relievers who could potentially start if needed as well. And then there's a there's a host of other guys. Uh, Skylar Brooks is a talented second-year freshman who has been stretched out in the fall. You know, 6'2", 200 plus pound physical pitcher he's going to be a two-way guy that plays first base and pitches so I mean realistically you probably have eight to ten guys who could take the ball and start now those five guys we talked about Cooch Maynard Smith Williams Spivey and Wisenhunt will be the favorites to uh, be in the rotation with Smith Williams and Cooch Maynard being the big favorites just due to their experience I mean more times than not, when there's an even battle or maybe a guy has better stuff than the other, if somebody has experience and they've proven they can do it, a coach is more likely to to go out there and roll with the guy that he has confidence in. So 
you might see Spivey and Wisenhunt get their chances as the season goes on. If they go out there in a game and they prove they can do it, then you're probably going to see them get more opportunities. But again, so much depth. That's just kind of the starting rotation. I mean, you look at the bullpen. Cam Colmore, who I just mentioned, uh, six-year senior. Matt Bridges, six-year senior, who returned from Tommy John surgery last year and looked sharp over seven outings. You've also got some some really uh, interesting second-year pitchers. Bradley Wilson's a tall right-hander who uh, who, who played – we pitched pretty well in three appearances last year. Zach Agnos, we rarely talk about, uh, along with the Ryder Giles as two-way guys because we always think of them as infielders, but both those guys can pitch and give you innings. Nate Nabholz is a second-year right-hander who can pitch. Uh, and then also A.J. Wilson was a left-hander that was talked about today as a guy who had made a lot of strides. You know, 6'3", lefty, came in as a top 150 national recruit, just didn't have fastball command last year as a freshman, so really got very few opportunities this year. Uh, made tremendous strides with his fastball command in the fall. It sounds like he'll be a, uh, a solid bullpen piece going forward for the Pirates. And something I asked Coach Dietrich, the pitching coach, was about those three left-handers. You know, of course, Coach Mander, we assume he'll be in the starting rotation. You're talking about a guy who went 4-0 and with a .60 ERA last year in four starts and has a track record of success. But even with him in the rotation, you have three potential lefties out of the bullpen with really good stuff. Wisenhunt, who we talked about, C.J. Mayhew, just, who just comes right after you, and then A.J. Wilson, who throws in the low 90s with some breaking balls. I mean, that's those are three really solid lefties that you can go to, let's say, in a weekend series or something like that uh, over the course of – three days to really just have a, a chance to match up with maybe a, a top lefty or a string of lefties in a lineup. So lots of interesting stuff uh, coming out of uh, the, the pitching side of things, of course, on media day. And, uh, you know, we didn't get into who the closer might be, if there'll be a closer by committee situation, but the good news is you've got really plenty of opportunities for guys to uh, to fill in that role. You got some guys with some stuff. You got guys with pitchability. I think it might be more matchup based early in the season until somebody kind of takes that role and runs with it. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From a position player standpoint, it was interesting that Cliff Godwin noted that Thomas Francisco... Uh, the third-year sophomore who spent a lot of last season playing first base and DH. He has been getting most of his work in left field. And Francisco is one of your more proven hitters in the program. Uh, right now, batted 423 in nine games last season with a home run, seven RBIs. 
Uh, you know, did deal with an injury, but should be a middle of the lineup type guy. And moving Francisco to left field gives you the opportunity to get another slugger in at first first base. Now, while it might cost you a little bit of range in the outfield, you're talking about a very offensive lineup if Francisco can play left field and play it at a high level because your most likely first base uh, platoon at this time is going to be Skylar Brooks, who is a right-handed hitter, and Josh Moylan, a standout freshman who bats left-handed, you know, 6'3", 6'4", power bat. Both those guys have immense upside at the plate. I think they'll both get opportunities. You might see one DH. You might see one play first base on a given day. Um, But, you know, having all three of those guys in the lineup really ups your power as a a baseball team. And um, another interesting note from today, you know, Connor Norby, the starting second baseman last year who batted 403, over 17 games, only hit one home run in those 17 games. But I uh, thought it was interesting that Cliff Godwin and Jeff Palumbo mentioned that he hit five home runs in the fall, which is a really impressive number over the span of about a month. He tied Seth Cadell, the starting catcher, with five home runs for the team lead in the fall. So uh, Norby, it sounds like, has really built on last season's strong start to the campaign. It was his first year as the starting second baseman. He was taken over for Brady Lloyd. Um, really quick bat speed, doesn't strike out a lot, puts the ball in play. He can steal bases. You know, he went six of eight last year, stolen base attempts. He also had four sacrifice hits, uh, 42 assists, only one error, and really just showed a lot of talent in those 17 games. So, Connor Norby, uh, your likely second baseman. We know, of course, Ryder Giles is a tremendous, tremendous defensive shortstop. Zero errors last year. In 15 games, 28 assists, 23 putouts. But the thing with Ryder is we know he's great defensively, and he's probably the best defensive shortstop in the American. But Jeff Palumbo said on Monday that if there was one player who dominated the Purple Gold World Series in every phase, it was Ryder Giles. So not only from a defensive perspective, but it sounds like Ryder, who batted uh, just 239 last year with 10 RBIs and um, four sacrifice uh, bunts. Uh, I thought Ryder, the one thing that's been holding him back from maybe being an all-conference guy or even a pro is what is his ceiling at the plate? And it sounds like Ryder has really taken a step forward from a physicality standpoint. He's gotten bigger in the weight room with the time off. And Cliff Godwin said they did a lot of work kind of with some things uh, on him at the plate with the swing with his approach and it's really paid off. So in the past, Ryder's been kind of seen as maybe a you know a bottom of the order hitter. It sounds like he could be a top of the order hitter based on how he hit in the fall. And if he can continue that in the spring and he can bring, you know, a, a solid batting approach to uh, you know, I should rephrase it. He's always had a solid approach. He can hit the ball the other way, he can pull it when necessary, he's got good bat speed. But if he can bring consistent hitting prowess to the lineup, uh, and get on base at a high level along with his defense, that will make him one of the more valuable players in the conference. So I thought that was one of the biggest takeaways of the day was uh, Ryder Giles and kind of the progress he's made as a hitter. In the outfield, you're probably looking at a similar lineup to last year, at least for starters. Uh, Bryson Worrell, uh, you're likely starting center fielder. I mean, you're talking about a 5 tool player with great range, really came along with power last season, hit a team, fi- team high five home runs. Over the first 17 games, batted 373 with 14 RBIs and six doubles, had a ridiculous 729 slugging percentage. So Bryson, you know, he's going to strike out a little bit with his style, but also very uh, 
Uh, very talented hitter, very talented defender, really does a lot of things good. He's likely your starting uh, center fielder. In the corner outfield, we talked about Francisco, probably going to play some left field. Uh, Christian Smallwood, who it seems like he's been a junior about three or four years now, he is going to be uh, a candidate to also play you know, right or left and DH as well. Powerful hitter, has dealt with some injuries throughout his career. Uh, last season hit 333 with uh, an RBI and limited uh, plate appearances due to those injuries, but he did start all five games he played. Uh, so Smallwood is a candidate to DH or play the corner. And then, of course, Lane Hoover, who has the ability to play center field, going to be probably your leadoff guy uh, or bottom-of-the-order type hitter just due to his stature. You know, not a power hitter, but just gets on base. Uh, you know, does hit. Uh, he hit his first career home run last year, batted three fifty three over 17 games, really provides a lot of upside as far as a defensive player and a base runner. So those are your three or four main outfielders if you count Thomas Francisco as well, who's likely to see some time out there. Uh, Riley Johnson, five foot eight, 170-pound freshman, is a guy who Cliff Godwin mentioned today as, a, as someone who has really come on strong, you know, missing time during the fall, but a uh, left-handed hitter, little undersized, but it sounds like he's got some pop. Uh, kid out of Manassas, Virginia, and it sounds like he will push for playing time if he stays healthy in the outfield as well. You know, good defender, can play all three outfield spots, and can also really run and swing the bat. So those that's kind of what you're looking for in the outfield. You know, there's a number of other guys who can play out there. You know, Alec Makarevich, who we don't really mention a lot as a second-year freshman, but I thought probably the best one of the best quotes today from Cliff Galvin's press conference was that he mentioned AMAC. Nobody gets more out of practice than Alec Makarevich. So a guy from, from Longwood, Florida, um, can play all over the field, third base, second base, shortstop, uh, all the outfield spots, switch hitter, extremely valuable to the program as a utility player, as a guy in a year like this with coronavirus potentially taking out your players at any time, having a guy as versatile and multi-gloved as that is extremely valuable to this to this baseball team. So, again, physical presence, uh, you know, good-looking body for a baseball player has a chance to really hit for some power as well, good-looking swing. He's a guy that we really don't talk about maybe just because he doesn't have a set position or he's not a starter right now, but on paper he might be one of your more valuable guys as the season goes along. So, I've, And I think when Cliff Galvin gives somebody that much praise about being that good of a practice player, uh, that's impressive because, you know, Cliff – He's measured in what he says. You know, he, he he doesn't give any BS, and he's not going to say something like that if a guy doesn't deserve it. So I think for him to say that about Amax says a says a whole heck of a lot about his future in the program. Um, and then there are another a number of other guys that were mentioned today. You know, as as potential backup guys, um, you've got a number of young infielders like C.J. Boyd, uh, Joey Barini, Jacob Starlin, Austin St. Lawrence. Uh, who are young young guys in their freshman season? And, you know they're stuck right now behind Connor Norby, Ryder Giles, uh, Zach Agnos at third base. Uh, at catcher, you've got Seth Cadell as the starter. You got Ben Newton behind him. You got a couple of freshmen behind those two older guys in um, Joey Rezik, who's a true freshman, and then Justin Wilcoxon, who is a uh, second year freshman who played on the team last year in a limited role. So. Again, you've got depth all over the place, and in a season like this, you're going to need a lot of depth. I think there's 
there's a lot of excitement, but also at the same time, you realize, hey, we could be going into any weekend series and we could lose a starting pitcher. We could lose our top two catchers to COVID protocol or whatnot. And you've got to have depth. And you can basically run through every position on the ECU baseball team and name the top two or three guys that could play that position and play it at a pretty high level. I mean, there's a reason ECU is preseason ranked in pretty much every poll. They've got the depth to contend for, uh, you know, another another regional host, another conference championship. Uh, ultimately, game performance, playing up to expectations, will will ultimately bear fruit of how good this team can be. But on paper, they do have some serious upside. So, a lot to be excited about if you're an ECU fan. It was also interesting that Cliff Galman said, I think 18 of the players already have antibodies for the, uh, the COVID-19 virus. Uh, so that could play a role. You've got a, a handful that are also out right now due to COVID-19 protocols. So, you know, you never want to say it's a good thing that somebody has already had the virus or has antibodies for it because we don't know the long-term effects. But just as far as the stoppage and start deal that we've we've seen throughout college sports, maybe you see less of that for ECU with a number of their players already going through the COVID um, COVID virus and dealing with it already. A lot of them had it in the fall, and some have already had it in the spring. And, you know, maybe that is a silver lining for a very tough situation. Obviously, we hope all those guys and their, their families and friends and loved ones are, are safe as well. But that could be something that plays into ECU's favor in a year where you're going to see a lot of postponements and canceled games uh, as we get going. Again, February 19th, the season opener for ECU against Rhode Island. Those are just some quick takeaways from ECU Baseball Media Day. Again, you can watch the full press conference on the ECU Athletics YouTube page. We'll also have a ton of written articles leading up to the season opener as uh, mid-February approaches. But just wanted to run over some quick takeaways and thoughts as baseball season draws closer. Shifting gears really quick, wanted to just hit on basketball before we get out of here on this Monday. Uh, Tough, tough Sunday for the Pirates. They were without their head coach. They were without four scholarship players. Uh, Charles Coleman, the seven-footer, was injured. Miles James, Tyree Jackson, and J.J. Miles wore out due to COVID protocols. Really, J.J., Miles, and Tyree being the, the primary two guys uh, being out, you know, JJ's your best three-point shooter. Tyree probably your best on-ball defender. Those two things I think were critical in a game like Memphis, where you're really outmatched from a physicality and athletic standpoint. And ECU had barely been able to practice. Memphis, meanwhile, has been able to practice. They've played three games now in the span of a week, and it showed they went 80 to 53. The game was really never competitive after the first five minutes. Uh, it was tough to watch. I, I thought, you know. I hoped it wouldn't come to that, and I didn't think ECU would lose by 30, but it was just the perfect storm of ECU not being anywhere in sync and Memphis playing really its best basketball of the season. They were coming off a 20-point win over a very good Wichita State team. They shot the ball extremely well in that game, and I started to think, man, if they shoot the ball that well on Sunday, this is going to be a long day for ECU, and unfortunately they did. They were lights out from three. ECU couldn't go zone, which they wanted to do to, you know, preserve their legs because they haven't been able to stay in shape. And it's just been a tough run for ECU basketball. You know, they started seven and one, but have since lost three in a row, dating back to January second. They're one and four in the conference. Hopefully, they can get into some sort of a rhythm 
uh, going forward. Again, they're scheduled to play on Wednesday at UCF and then Saturday against Tulsa. And just playing some games after such a long hiatus, I think, would really do this team a lot of good. And also, they, they, they need to get their head coach back. I mean, I thought being in Minji's on Sunday, Steve Rockefort, the associate head coach, did his best. But it was obvious that they missed Joe Dooley. You know, there was really no direction, you know, in terms of somebody trying to light a fire under the team. Just that presence, they missed their head coach, which is understandable. Um, he's the head coach for a reason. He's the top guy. It's hard to fill in uh, a head coach's voice when he's not there. So they tried. They did some virtual stuff. They did Zoom. But not having Joe Dooley there on the sideline in his usual role really impacted the team. And I thought once things started to go south, they really struggled to kind of find an answer for that. And part of that was Joe Dooley not being inside menus. So it sounds like, according to Steve Rockefort after the game, Dooley is scheduled to be back on Wednesday at UCF in a game where you've got two really struggling basketball teams. UCF has lost five in a row. ECU has lost three in a row. The game will be played in Orlando. Uh, The Pirates really need to find some offensive rhythm. You know, they've really struggled offensively since conference play started. Uh, They have not scored 70 points in any conference game. Uh, Again, the last... The last three games, they've only scored 56, 63, and 53. And then they only scored 55 at SMU. They scored 68 in their lone win over Tulane on December 22nd. So hopefully they can find some offensive rhythm, get Jaden Gardner back on track. We'll continue to have basketball coverage as always. Leading up to Wednesday's tip-off, we'll let you know if there's any postponement or cancellation or anything like that. It was announced today that the Temple game, which was postponed earlier this month, the home game EC was supposed to play against Temple. That has been moved to mid-February. And now the Pirates will play Temple in a short home-and-home. Home. They'll play at Temple on February 11th on a Thursday and then turn around and welcome the Owls to Minji's Coliseum two days later on Saturday, February 13th. Both of those will be 12 noon tip-offs as EC will play back-to-back games versus Temple in a span of three days. So there will be more scheduling news to come. The Pirates still have postponements lingering Uh, against Wichita State, Cincinnati, and South Florida. So I'm sure we'll get news on that in the weeks ahead as the American tries to look through the schedule and find the best results possible for scheduling and rescheduling and moving these games around to try and get as many conference games in as possible. All right, that'll do it for our podcast. Again, a short one today on this Monday. Just wanted to run over our big takeaways from Media Day. We will continue to have in-depth coverage for ECU baseball leading up to first pitch. We'll have, along with our written previews for the season, we'll also have a number of prediction podcasts and kind of a starting lineup guest projection podcast and uh, guest the starting rotation, maybe even a trivia podcast leading into the baseball season opener. So we'll keep you up to date on the latest news and notes. Again, hoistthecolors.net will be running a special later this week heading to the early or the the traditional signing period, I should say, on the first Wednesday of February, we'll have a special 24-7 sports network-wide that will include Hoist the Colors that you can take advantage of if you've been on the fence about subscribing. All right, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll be back with you sometime later this week.
CBS Tonight, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. It says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale tonight, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.